are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now, let's listen in to this week's sermon. Last week, when Justin spoke, he kind of painted the picture of what Palm Sunday was like. And if you remember about Palm Sunday, as Jesus came into Jerusalem, there were people that lined the streets with palm branches. And, you know, you kind of go back and you say, well, what was all that about? Well, that was really what happened when people treated royalty. So when Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem, it's, it's, it's a picture of what they would have done if it had been a king or some royalty that was entering. Jesus, in this time, he had collected a, a very loyal group of followers. He had healed many. Scripture, in fact, recounts a part of those, but there were more than that, but he healed many while he was there. People were clamoring to hear what he had to say. He had this message that was significantly different. What they had heard is really, especially from the Jewish community, the Jewish community, what they had heard had really been about the law and about all the do this and do that's. But Jesus brought a completely different kind of message. He brought a message of forgiveness. He brought a message of grace. He brought a message where he talked about this kingdom of heaven. Now, if, you, if you've been around the Jewish population, you'd realize that they really don't spend much time, like we doc, talk about the, the kingdom of heaven. And he was talking about this place where they would spend their eternal life. He'd given hope to many. Can you imagine the hope 2,000 years ago? That hope that they, they were hoping for a king because what they were after is they were hoping that Finally, we have this guy and this king, and what he's going to do, he's going to throw off this yoke of slavery. We'll finally get rid of the Romans and all the time that we've spent being oppressed by them. To some, he was a a great prophet. He was a great teacher. To some, a healer. They'd watched it happen. Maybe it happened to them. Maybe you were Lazarus, and you'd literally been raised from the dead. To some, he was a close friend and and for sure an inspiring spiritual leader. But see, this three years that he had spent in ministry, it was getting ready to come to a screeching halt with the things that are happening in the latter part of this week. Remember, he started this week as royalty, and now we're at a place where things are significantly different. His circumstances had changed radically just a few days ago. Royalty, but look at what it is now. One of the things we remember as we kind of walk through those, we remember the selling out of Jesus by Judas, literally the selling him out for 30 pieces of silver. Scripture tells us this. It says that he, this is Jesus speaking at the Last Supper, he said, he who dipped his hand with me in this dish will betray me. And we know the Scripture says that Judas was asking the question, well, is it me, Lord? And he said, yeah, it's you. And then we know what happened is, is a little bit later that evening was the arrest. And Jesus said to the mob, this mob had approached him while he was, pray, while he was pray, praying. And this mob approached him. And they, he asked the question of this mob. He said, have you come out against me as you would for a robber with swords and clubs to take me? He says, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. It's an interesting question. Why would they have to come in the dark at night like many things happen 
Why would they have had to do that? The trial then, this is what it says in Matthew 27, it said, Now Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate asked him the question. He said, Are you indeed the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. It is as you say. And you know what happened to Pontius Pilate? And boy, it, I have to admit, it reminds me of a lot of how things get done today. Pontius Pilate gave in to the loudest. That's what he did. They started screaming, they started yelling, but the loudest. He gave in to the loudest to decide he would be crucified. And then we talk about the beating and humiliation that was to come after the trial. If you'll pick me up, I'm in verse 27. Find you the chapter number here, Matthew 27, verse 27. It says this, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and they put on a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and they sat it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and mocked him like they would to a king. They knelt in front of him and then they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. Then they spit on him, and they took the staff, and they struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe, and they put back on his own, his own clothes back on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Now, I want you to just take just a second, because this next verse I want to share with you, but I want you to take a quick glance at the cross that's back here in this corner. Many of us walk by it Sunday after Sunday with little attention to the very fact of what it is because it's that symbol of literal agony. The Romans developed that because you couldn't find a way that was a more terrible, horrendous way to put somebody to death. It wasn't quick, but that was the purpose. So they went to the crucifixion in Matthew 27, verse 33. He said, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They, were offered, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Now, if you were to look at that and how it's actually said, like we would use capital letters when we're talking about something, a proper name, they didn't use capital letters. This is king with a little k, and he, you know that he was the king of the Jews. Now we know that at the cross, there were these intimate moments while Jesus hung on the cross. And at the cross, he said to his mother, who was there in the crowd, believe me, there were not a lot of other people in the crowd. Most of them had vanished, amazingly. But his mother was in the crowd, and he said, Woman, behold your son. John was there disciple that Jesus loved, and he tells John, who wasn't his brother, but he said, woman, this is your son, son, this is your mother, and John took her into his home then to provide for. See, eyewitnesses at this time heard other things come out of his mouth. In John 19, it says this, when they had received the drink, Jesus said this, he said, it is finished. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Some of you may have scripture that you've memorized through the years and know, and it says that he said, into my hands, Lord, as he spoke to him, into my hands, I commend my spirit. 
I liked what a commentator, a Bible commentator Morris said. He said this, Jesus died with the cry of a victor on his lips. Now remember, he just said, it is finished. But Jesus died with the cry of a victor on his lips. This is not a man that was moaning of defeat, nor was it a sign of patient resignation. It is the, it is the triumphant recognition, it is finished, that he has now fully accomplished the work that he came to do. But see, the crucifixion of Jesus, which had been hope, the hope that had been there, that people had just seen all this great stuff that was going to happen, this, cruci this crucifixion then, hope started to give way to hopelessness. And I can only imagine the emotional roller coaster if you were those close to him and you'd placed your trust in him, you'd traveled with him, you'd, eat, you'd eaten with him and spent all those times on the dusty roads learning as you went from place to place. You know, some of them, they had such hopes for this, this new earthly kingdom that was going to come. Finally, after all this time, for most of them, it had been their whole lifetime. The, the Romans, they would finally have them off of their neck. We'd have this new king who would lead us. And man, we can, we can talk about this eternal life and this kingdom and all the great things that are going to happen to us. But now instead of Jesus sitting on an earthly throne like so many of them thought would happen, here he is. They have in a, in a hurry because they couldn't violate the Jewish Sabbath. So what do they do? They have to hurriedly take him and put him in a tomb hollowed out of a bluff as quickly as they could do it. Like many of us, when things go wrong, I don't know about you, but I kind of was thinking about this as I wrote this piece. But for many of us, when things go wrong, it seems like that what we do is we either start assuming guilt or we start placing guilt. And I think a lot of that same thing happened there. You know, were they assuming guilt or were they placing guilt? Because, you know, look what had happened. You had all this confusion amongst the disciples. Can you imagine their whole world? Was, I mean, they walked off from their jobs and everything else. They've put themselves on the line, and all of a sudden, whew, quickly, he's taken from them. Feeling, I expect that they thought, I didn't do enough to protect him. You know, Jesus would have rested. I, I should have stood up. I should have done more to protect him. I think about Judas. His guilt was so extreme that what did he do? He took his own life. What despair that he must have felt. For Peter, Peter, he, Jesus says, you'll deny me. And oh, I'll never do that. But guess what? Peter had denied him. Think what went through his mind. The disciples were dazed. They were confused and really hopeless. They were living in fear because if you think about that, you think, you watch this happen. You watch this crucifixion, this terrible thing that happened to Jesus. And you know what we would think in our own humanity? We'd be thinking, I wonder if they're coming for me. I wonder if I'm next. I wonder if that's the life that I will have, well, I'll have my life ended. We think about the women who we're, we're getting ready to go back and prepare the body because they hadn't been able to do that sufficiently at the start of the time that he was put in the tomb. There were a lot of what I call shoulda, coulda, wouldas that went on. A lot of things that people thought I could have done differently. Maybe even placing guilt. Well, if Judas hadn't done this, or if, the, 
But the reality is this was supposed to play out the way it was. So now where's hope? Where's hope? What if the disciples had just caught the first train out of town? They said, you know, do what you want to. I'm out of here. I'm not taking a risk. What if they had followed Judas's lead and just were in such despair that life for them wasn't worth living? What if they had disassociated themselves with a believer group and just said, you know what? I, I was a part of that group, but, you know, what did it get me? You know, I had hope. And look at my hopes, they were dashed. What did I do? And see, many of us believers, we do that, don't we? We hit a place of hopelessness. We hit a place that things get tough. Maybe we're really embarrassed because we did something dumb, whatever it is. But many of us, that's what we do. We disassociate ourselves from the believer group. They could have done that then. Some of them could have said, I'm just going back to my life prior to Jesus. You know, fishing looks really, really good to me right now. I think fishing looks good. No pressure other than just what's in the net. We might ask ourselves, how could these how could these people that were that close to this inspiring man and saw all the things, how could they abandon him? Where was their faith? But you know, don't we have highs and lows too? Aren't there times that we're really hopeful and things are strong and good and Man, it just how could life be any better? But then there's times that our hope seems to be drained. You may be here today, and, and you, you may be putting on a great face, but your hope may be drained for whatever reason. There's times that in our faith, and this is important, okay? I've got a few things I want you to remember. This is one of them I want you to remember today when you leave. But times when our faith, when it doesn't seem as real. Let me say it again. There are times that our faith doesn't seem as real to us. And there's times that our faith doesn't seem as necessary for us. Okay? I'm going to say it again because it's important. I want you to plant this, okay? There's times that our faith doesn't seem as real to us. You may be in one of those places. And there's times that our faith doesn't seem as necessary for us. See, faith is something you have to fight for. You have to fight for it. That's another thing I want you to take home with you today. Faith is something you have to fight for. See, accepting Christ, frankly, and I don't mean this to, to sound bad, but the, the bar for accepting Christ is pretty low. What I have to do is I have to what? I have to believe in my heart, and I have to confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the bar. If I do that, I can accept Christ. I am one of his. But seemingly, it's still a pretty low bar. But the living it out, that's what you have to fight for. That's when, that's when this whole Christianity thing becomes more complicated and different. But see, hope enters again on Resurrection Day 2,000 years ago. And I like Resurrection Day. Nothing against Easter, okay? But this really is Resurrection Day. That's what this day symbolizes to us believers. And hope appeared in the person of Christ. If you just take yourself back, these ladies early that morning, on that third morning, they, they started back to this tomb. And they arrive, and what? The, the, 
the stone is rolled away, this big heavy stone, this stone is rolled away. And they go, okay, this isn't right, this is, this is not right. Because they posted soldiers to make sure nothing bad would happen like that and said that Jesus would all of a sudden have this new storyline that his followers would use. But they got there and there was a gleaming figure that asked his question, said, said to these three ladies, one of them being his mother, they said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Let me say it again. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I tell you, folks, that is a huge statement. If you think about it, that is a huge statement because the application of that applies to our life as a believer. Because if the, if the living, if we're looking for living, we're not the dead, okay? If you're a believer, if you belong to Christ today, you are not the dead. You are living and you will continue living. And that's really what that gleaming figure was asking Mary. Mary Magdalene, why do you look for Jesus here? He's not dead. He's raised. John and Peter ran to the tomb, and they found the tomb, and they found the clothes. The mothers, you'd like this, by the way, because Scripture says that not only was he gone, but he folded his stuff up neat before he left and put it on the table, right? That's pretty cool when you think about it, but he, he left his grave clothes, and the tomb was empty. Jesus would appear many times over these next 40 days. And remember, again, we're talking about hope. We're talking about things that you can go back and attach yourself to and say, well, tell me why we should believe that. See, he would appear to Thomas and he would said, he said, feel the nail prints in my hand because Thomas was who? Doubting Thomas. Jesus would walk along the road to Emmaus and when he did, he, he would kind of step up beside these two guys that were walking that were followers of his and they were having this conversation and he would, he would join in the conversation and he'd say, well, what are you talking about? And the guys looked at him like he had just came from Mars. He said, how could you not know what we're talking about? Because the Savior, Jesus, was crucified. He appeared in the midst of disciples, and he ate with them, and he encouraged them. And again, he appeared at the Sea of Tiberias and spent time with them. The Bible also tells us that he appeared to at least 500 on another occasion in a larger group. And then before the ascension... Jesus led his closest to Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He parted from them and was carried away to heaven. See, that's about the ascension. That's a big deal. Not anything to look at lightly. That's a big deal. He led his closest to Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven. The same thing we expect when our life here ends. Following the resurrection, Jesus restored hope to the disciples. You take these people and they had become hopeless. And now he's restored hope. But see, but, but to some of us, that hope still seems so far away. Our lives get so disconnected sometimes that we, that we, you know, we know the story, we kind of get it, we kind of believe it, but yet... Sometimes that hope, that belief in the things we're talking about today, it becomes very distant for us. Well, that was then. That was 2,000 years ago. But this is now. Things are different. 
I've struggled trying to prepare this uh, particular part of the message because the it, it and it's how do you describe if you're standing up here if you're me how do you describe the hope that Jesus brings to you how do I describe adequately to explain to you how important it is that your life is centered around that it's not centered around all this other stuff and he, this is a little spear over here spinning around the edge but how do I explain that your life is centered on that. I'm not struggling with the fact that the Easter story is true or not. I, I, I get that. I, I know that Easter story is true. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I struggle with the fact that I believe Jesus is hope because I absolutely believe that he's hope. But what I have a hard time is trying to explain to people listening, how do I get people to grasp how important this relationship is? And it's not just important, believe me, it is critical. It is critical to your life. It is critical to your life here on earth. It's critical for your life that will be eternal if you trust in him. I mentioned earlier that some of us, our faith may not seem as real right now. And for some of us, frankly, it may not even seem as necessary in our daily life. Maybe necessary to go to heaven, but is it really necessary that I have to really go out of my way to be this kind of Christian kind of person? See, life for most of us Americans, frankly, if you think about it, for most of us Americans, life's pretty good. Life's pretty good. And so we wonder, well, what, what's the immediacy? Why, why is it important, Tom, that I focus on that right now? You know, we get wound up in work. We get round up in sports and hobbies and television shows and streaming stuff. I do all that stuff. But we get wound up in that and, and we forget that those really aren't the main thing, the important thing. Years ago, Karen and I had bought our first house and like many of you, we were trying to get two nickels to rub together and the house needed shingles really bad. So I thought, okay, I'll shingle the house. Well, it's two stories, about 22 to 25 feet from the eave down to the ground, pretty high, and it had a steep peak. Well, you know, I'm thinking, okay, got to figure it out. I wasn't crazy about heights, but I decided I, I got to get up there. A friend decided he would help me. So we get up there. Well, one of the things we found out, we got the, we got the shingle stripped off, and we got the black paper kind of down, and we kept sliding down the roof. It was so steep. And, you know, when I'd sit down to, for shingles, that was back before nail guns where we had actually nails and, and hammers. And so I'm, you know, kind of sitting on one hip, and every time I'd hit the nail, that concussion, I would slide down a little bit. I thought, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to fall 25 feet. So I came up with this great redneck invention. I went out and I got a, I got a rope, tied it around the chimney, and then I, took, I came down here and I wrapped it one loop around my leg, well, what was that for? Well, it was so when I hit that thing, I couldn't go very far. But what it was really for, if I started sliding off this maybe life-ending roof, I could reach out and I could grab that rope because that became my emergency handle right there. I could reach out and I could grab that. See, the hope that Jesus, his life and death and his resurrection, it is, in fact the rope we can grab in that emergency. 
it is when, when everything is right or wrong, it is the rope we can grab. But I said earlier that we have to fight for our faith. Why? Because all this other stuff tries to crowd it out. It can crowd out our hopes. It can, all this other stuff can keep us from not developing the personal relationship that we need. Other stuff crowds it up. It doesn't seem as real to us. It just doesn't seem as necessary to us. I'll get around to it. I got some other stuff I need to do. I'm leading a pretty good life. But I'm leading a pretty good life, but it, it is, is it your best life? Is it my best life? Let me answer that for you. The question is, is it my best life? And the answer is no, if in fact Jesus is not the center of your life. There's still room to gain. If he's not real to you, if he's not necessary to you. You know, there's a secular song that says this, looking for love in all the wrong places. For some of us, we do that. We look for hope in all the wrong places when it's really right in front of us. And you, do, you, can, you can make your own list, but think of all the things that you put your hope in and all the things that need to happen, and I'll be happy when, and it'll be a wonderful life when, all the things that we put hope in. You know, the lyrics, and you saw them up here earlier, the lyrics of this 200-year-old hymn that is that are just striking when it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's pretty simple, isn't it? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If you don't, if you don't like 200-year-old songs, let me just fast forward you to David Crowder. And his song is, All My Hope is the name of it. And it's all my hope is in Jesus. Simple but profound. Let me say it again. Simple but profound. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God that yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by his blood. See, if you haven't made a real commitment for him to be your personal savior, there's really not a better time to do it. Because living a Christian life is not just waiting till the particular days that you need to reach out and grab the proverbial rope to keep from sliding off into the abyss. That's not what a Christian life's about. I mean, that's a benefit of it because you have the assurity of eternal life. You have the assurity of heaven. But the reality for us is life and this is the part that's hard to explain when you stand up here. But life can be so much more full when you decide that you're going to grasp all of Jesus rather than him being a tangential figure that I need some days, but other days, yeah, frankly, I'm just a little too busy. Our love for Jesus shouldn't be a secret. For many of us, we may have people that work alongside of us, live next to us, whatever those things are that don't have one idea about our faith. And really, I'm not saying that you necessarily have to shout it from the rooftops, but it shouldn't be a secret. We should be willing to let that out. 
I hope as we close today that you'll consider where you're at. Are you on a roof with just the rope to hang on to? Or in fact, do you have a lot of assurances about your Christian life? It can be so full. Why, why, do, why, do, why do we want to do just live a part of it when our life could be so much full if we embrace Jesus? I'm going to have the elders come up, and they'll be by the steps. They'll be out of the way of the camera if that's a question for you. But I'm going to have the elders come up and our praise team come up. And what I would ask you, if, this, if you've not made a decision, we don't do altar calls like this often, but if you haven't made a decision for Jesus, it's, it's simple. Come up, stand with them just for a minute, tell them what's on your mind. Maybe you have a, a place where you just feel like, hey, Tom, I've lost hope. I've lost hope, and you just need somebody to briefly pray with you about that, but then they'll pray with, about it after they leave here as well. But my hope is, is that, that when you leave, that you do really do some self-examination if you're a believer today and just say, Lord, I, I don't want part of you. I want all of you. I want, I want you to fill my life. And I want to be obedient in the process. Bow your heads with me. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us this day, this Easter, this resurrection day to remember you. And Father, I just think what a, what a pleasure it is to serve a living God. What a pleasure that is to serve a living God. And Father, to know that you're interested in every detail of our life. You're interested in our success. You're interested in a relationship. You're interested in our finances. You're interested in our health. Whatever those things are, Lord, those are important to you because they're important to us. And I pray, Father, again, that if there are people that need to come at this time and just speak to these men and just say, here's what's on my mind. I want, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Maybe I, I just need hope restored or maybe I've been slacking. Whatever it is. Just pray this will be a time that they'll do it as we sing this last song. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God love others, and serve both.